It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I think we know the answer to some of this. I watched Glenn Youngkin's interviews on Fox News, and he did nothing that Claire's... He did not... I mean, he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump on Fox News. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. He simply didn't... He played dumb about a, 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 a Zoom rally. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection in which police officers were maimed by flagpoles. So... I think that the, the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? Well, that's a problem. That's Nicole Wallace of MSNBC. Uh, what? The, the, the Republicans swung the suburbs by 15 points, and she's pretty upset about that. But it's coming from Nicole Wallace, and uh, she is a rabid leftist, and actually we should be encouraged by that. And we know now as the dust is settling that uh, Republicans, and I would like to say it more this way, conservatives, gained stunning election victories across the country. And this was a kind of a, this was an election that people didn't talk about too much because there weren't that many big races Virginia had their uh, midterms, and Texas had some, but no, no statewide offices, just some, uh, just some. But school board elections, all important, but not like a major marquee election. And so, Republicans, had, and of course, in an off year uh, or, or in an election like that, there's usually low turnout. I don't even know what turnout was, but all I could say is that conservatives certainly turned out. And of course, Glenn Youngkin won in Virginia. And I want to just say something. I've been asking questions about him because. I know that Glenn Youngkin was initially the pick of the establishment party, and that was a red flag to a lot of people, and they had wished for a more conservative candidate. Uh, but other people that I know who have vetted Glenn Youngkin now that he's been on the campaign trail and gotten really familiar with issues, he was a businessman, not a politician. I find that businessmen are busy, you know, they know about business, but they generally don't know about issues. But someone that I know that's been vetting and working with him has pretty good confidence that he is conservative. So I just wanted to tell you guys that. Those of you, you know, someone that I trust has put their vote of confidence in Glenn Youngkin, but we'll see. I mean, I'm sure there are things that he'll make some mistakes because he's not a politician, and he's like President Trump. Remember how he was fooled by people in the White House who played him and then ignored him? He had no idea how bad it was. And there will be a learning curve for Glenn Youngkin too, but that that will be interesting. And, of course— there was uh, Winsome Sears who won the uh, lieutenant governor's position, and she's just been amazing. She's been on television kind of revealing to us who she really is, this black Marine, and there's a lot more to say about her. But I just, this is a small short clip we just pulled out part of the interview that I wanted you to hear so that you could hear 
who got elected as the Republican black female former Marine Lieutenant Governor of the state of Virginia. Here she is, clip seven. What I want to say to black people, Asian people, whatever, minorities, Latinos, whatever, don't allow political parties to divide us. Don't allow political parties to use whatever grievances that have been historically against you to force you to look at them as the savior so that they can swoop in and think they're saving you when all they're doing is pitting one race against the other, one race against the other. You'll notice, for example, that what was happening with Asians, it was young black men and they were attacking Asians, but nobody wanted to say anything about it. If you can't identify the problem, then how can you come up with a solution? So we've got to stop this divisiveness. There's a psalm that I live by. I used it in my campaign, and it's Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in peace and harmony. That's what we want. What more could I say? What more could I say? And it's true. I mean, I know that all the people in Virginia who got upset about critical race theory in schools are not necessarily card-carrying evangelical Christians. Uh, that's true. But, but there is a sense of truth, and I think there's a sense of evil working in the world. In schools, uh, that whole business of the boy in a skirt raping a girl in the bathroom of all things, uh, even non-believing, meaning in Jesus, people uh, understand that that just can't be unless they are truly wicked. And a lot of the people that are in office right now are truly wicked. A lot of people on school boards are truly wicked, but there seems to be kind of a breakdown where uh, the, the, the division between right and wrong and good and evil uh, is getting pretty clear, pretty stark. And so um, it's not a shocking thing for someone to use a scripture verse like when some Sears just did, that it's a good thing. It's a good and pleasant thing when people you know, can coexist together regardless. And so a beautiful for, a beautiful verse, and I wanted you to hear her say that. I uh, wanted to tell you about a couple of other uh, things that happened. Uh, the Republicans gained a narrow victory in the Virginia House of Delegates. I think they maybe hoped there would be a larger uh, spread, but 51 to 49 will do handily for conservatives there. Also in New Jersey, which, um, you know, Phil Murphy is was that, he has really that draconian governor, one of the worst in the country on the COVID restrictions. And he was challenged by Republican Jack Ciotarelli. Uh, Jack, um, look, I, I'm not clear about this. I don't know if Jack has conceded or not. And the reason he hadn't is because overnight in New Jersey, as I understand it, suddenly all of these ballots showed up for Phil Murphy. Just for him, I think it was like 30,000 just showed up. And so Jack said, I'm not conceding. I don't know if he has yet. Okay, I think they are declaring Phil Murphy the winner, the public, uh, the press is, but I, I'm not exactly sure about that, but we'll find out. Also, Texas Republicans switched three legislative seats, state legislative seats from the Democrats, and that was in a heavily Hispanic district in San Antonio. Could I hasten to say, once again, this is not about race. This is about people who believe in family, who uh, believe in Judeo-Christian values, even if they don't know they do. There are people that are just offended by the policies that have been put in place by leftists, godless leftists, and that's what they are. And in um, New York City, four New York City council seats went to the Republicans, and that's pretty amazing. That's very amazing, as a matter of fact. 
Um, all right, so let's see. Um, then in New Jersey, I know you've heard this story, but it just it has to be told. There's a truck driver. His name is um, Durr. Is this Edward Durr? Uh, he he's a he rides a truck for Raymond and Flanagan Furniture. Uh, he's conservative. He ran on those blue collar values. He ran a low budget campaign. Well, yes, I think he only spent one hundred and fifty dollars. His uh, campaign uh, what video he made on his cell phone, and really he won. He he didn't just win. He beat the Democratic state Senate uh, president, uh, which was just amazing. So now the state Senate president, Stephen Sweeney, is now claiming that thousands of recently found ballots uh, support his refusal to concede. They found, can you imagine that happening in a race where they would find ballots in the middle of the night that would all go to the leftist? I, can you, have you ever heard of such a thing happening? Oh, I think we have heard of that happening like almost all the time. And so um, Steve Sweeney, you know, is going to try to bully the truck driver who has no experience in politics and, and obviously no money to fight back. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. But that is really, that's a story. That's almost, that's, that's like Dave Bratt beating Eric Cantor in Virginia. <laughs> what, what, 10 years ago? I don't, I've lost track, but that was amazing. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw this happening in New Jersey. And I think it just tells you the mood of people around the country. All right, so uh, politics. Well, let's see. In D.C., uh, the House passed this huge $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill it also includes amnesty for 7.9 illegal immigrants. And you'll be happy to know that I think it was... Now, I, this article I'm reading says 11 Republicans. I thought it was more than that, but 11 Republicans helped. They were happy to help the Democrats pass this bill. And that was uh, Nicole Maliokakis from New York, Tom Reed from New York, Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey, Chris Smith from New Jersey, Don Young, Alaska, Adam Kinziger from Illinois, Fred Upton from Michigan, Don Bacon from Nebraska, and Anthony Gonzalez from Ohio, Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania, and David McKinley from West Virginia. They all helped pass this big infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion. And there's a lot more I could say about that, but I don't really want to. I don't want to talk about that too much because I've told you I've kind of given up on, I've given up on D.C., I've given up on the parties. And let me just say that uh, the the uh, amnesty will grant work permits and lawful status called parole to an estimated 7.9 million illegal aliens uh, when we have kind of a problem on the border right now. So, and in addition to that, we know that uh, the Biden administration has sent 70 secret night flights of migrants from the border to Florida. They've been doing it overnight uh, the floor, the um, the DeSantis administration has been trying to figure out who's doing this specifically, who's in charge of this, who's flying them in. Uh, there was a, uh, a Jamaican, Jamaican, Haitian, and Honduran. Sorry, I'll get a minute. There was a 24-year-old Honduran man who was arrested in Florida, in northern Florida. He's suspected of murder. And they suspect that he was on one of those flights. And so that's part of the entanglement there. But you can see... Uh, in pretty clear terms, why this is disturbing and upsetting. Um, So the House passed that bill with the, um, of course, the Senate has to pass it, and the president has to sign it. And you know President Biden would never sign something like 
that, would he? Oh, I guess he might, since he's thinking about giving half a million dollars to, uh, nearly half a million dollars to uh, illegal immigrants who came here during the Trump administration and got separated from their families. So families can get up to a million dollars. But that's a whole story that I don't even want to get into right now. But that's where he is on this. And so you should know that he probably will likely sign that bill with the help of those 11 Republicans. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi was asked about the election and its effect on her policies. I thought you might find this interesting. Uh, Let's listen to the exchange with a reporter, clip 11. Does he change the agenda for uh, the House? No. No. Does it change the agenda? The first part of that was that she was talking and about McAuliffe and the agenda. She said, the people have spoken with the respect of, I don't know what that word is, and they said that Terry McAuliffe is a great leader and he was the governor of the state, which makes no sense at all since he just roundly was defeated. Uh, but then she's asked if it will change her policies. No, no, won't change them. So you see where they're coming from, which reminds me of Jennifer Granholm, who is the energy secretary. Uh, gas prices have reached $7 in California. Uh, and she's confirming now publicly that in, Americans are going to pay a lot more for the heat in their homes. The Biden administration is considering shutting down another pipeline, uh, making things even worse for people entering the winter. And this is Jennifer Granholm's response when she was asked about it. This is clip three. In Sturgis, Michigan, it is $2.89 a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? That is hilarious. Would that I had the magic wand on this. As you know, of course, uh, oil is a global market. It is controlled by a cartel. That cartel is called OPEC. The point is, uh, Jennifer Granholm and the Biden administration and the people behind the scenes don't have any intention. This is their goal. That's why it's funny to her. They want gasoline to be so high that you cannot fuel your gas-powered uh, cars. They want it, uh, heating oil to be so expensive that you cannot heat your homes with it. They want you uh, to be short on inger- energy because, uh, you know, ultimately it's all about control. Uh, remember Barack Obama laughing about how uh, energy prices would necessarily skyrocket? Same thing. And one of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was the legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today we pray for Christy Abazade, Director of the National Counterterrorism Center. Her office is responsible for national and international terrorism efforts. Psalm 34-7 reminds us of the protection God provides us. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Christy Abazade as she works to combat domestic and global terrorism and help keep our nation safe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. It turns out Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler is not as woke as he thought he was. The Oregon mayor decided to wade into a rampaging mob of anarchists the other day. Instead of a touchy-feely moment, the mayor got tear-gassed. Mayor Wheeler has clearly lost control of his city, and that's why President Trump is sending a federal response to places like Portland and Seattle, Kansas City, Chicago. American cities turned into war zones. But instead of thanking the president, the Democrat mayors have likened the federal presence to an occupying army. During a recent White House press conference, a reporter asked what right President Trump had to use federal law enforcement on American soil. But the more pressing question is what right do the Democrat mayors have to turn a blind eye when domestic terrorists are burning down their cities? Be sure to listen to my national radio show noon to 3 Eastern, or you can download the free podcast at ToddStarns.com. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. This mandate has come through the pipeline and it's been incredibly difficult to process. And um, the direction that our hospital took was even more challenging. Um, it really didn't give a breastfeeding mom an out. Um, Unbelievable. Typically, pregnant, pregnant and breastfeeding women are exempt from this kind of a thing. But not this time. And, you know, I speak for myself and myself only, but it's it's incredibly difficult to make tough decisions. But it's not difficult at all when it comes to what you think is best for you and your baby. And that's what I had to do in this case. I didn't feel for me that there was um, enough long term data to support me feeling comfortable doing it at this time. So I had to take a stand. Jennifer, have you had COVID before? Yes, I did. I had it when I was 15 weeks pregnant. So your hospital um, does not acknowledge natural, the science of natural immunity? No. The, what is, do you think is driving this? Because it's clearly not science-based and it's very callous. You know, I, I don't think I can necessarily speak to that other than I live in California 
and mm. there was a state mandate that came out and the hospital lined up in alliance with Governor Newsom and went above and beyond supporting the state mandate. Yeah, so that's a young mom in California. I am not sure it came out in that little exchange that she had uh, tried and tried and tried to get pregnant, and she had lost several children. She had miscarriages, and she finally had this baby. She's breastfeeding it, uh, and she just, she's a nurse, and she knows it's uh, risky, shall we say, to take the vaccine. So she's terminated. She talked about how also she had a, a different career. She, this is her second career. She has her master's now in nursing and how hard it is for her to give that up. And so that's a courtesy of Joe Biden's mandates around the country. So finally, that rule uh, that said that employers who have over 100 employees must force their employees to be vaccinated or they would, you know, receive, you know, incredible fines. The employers will be fined a lot of money. Uh, has finally that rule was written. And as a result of that, some 27 states have pushed back uh, and are suing. And so uh, it's it's been growing. At first it was 10 states, and now it's 27 states. And there may even be more this morning that I haven't seen. Uh, but uh, people are fighting back, and I'll tell you right now that the American Family Association is fighting back big time. I want to tell you what our statement, we actually filed uh, one of the briefs, um, the latest mandate, of course, uh, was filed, and this is our statement. I want you to hear this. This is written by Abe Hamilton, who was our chief legal counsel, and he said, American Family Association is a Christian organization. As such, we conduct every aspect of our operation according to our statement of faith, which is recognized and protected by the U.S. Constitution and congressional statute. We believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible, an authoritative word of God, it teaches us that the right of conscience is sacred and must remain inviolate. Any mandate that forces us to compel our employees, our AFA family, to be vaccinated against their wills is one that would require us to violate our family's sacred right of conscience. That is something that we cannot and will not do. And then he went on to say the federal government has no authority whatsoever to compel us to intrude upon our employees' personal health decisions and violate their sacred rights of conscience. The Biden administration's edict is the latest example of its utter disdain and contempt for both our Constitution and millions of Americans' sincerely held religious beliefs. We are not the federal government's enforcement arm to compel the American people to choose between their livelihood and their freedom. This is a grotesque abuse of power, and we will not be party to it. We also refuse to incur the cost of implementing this testing regime and the attendant liability for inserting ourselves into our employees' private health. The United States of America is a constitutional republic. <clears throat> we are not a monarchy, and we, the people, will not abide dictatorship. The current administration seems to require a reminder of that fact. This, this abuse of executive power has become the occasion to provoke such a reminder. And as a result of that, we signed on this brief, and um, the order, the, the Biden order has been stayed by the by a circuit court. I think it's the fifth. I have to make sure. I think it's the fifth circuit. Uh, I'll check on that in just a second, but um, it's the fifth circuit. Yeah. So that's a huge victory, let me tell you. So you've got I, my inbox. I, I'm laughing because you should see all that I printed out this morning. There are so many people fighting back. Uh, the Daily, um, uh, but been, been uh, yes, okay, I shouldn't do wing it here. Daily Wire, 
is fighting back. Uh, all kinds of entities. These uh, states that I mentioned, uh, the uh, White House says it's, uh, you know, the start of a long fight. They're confident they're going to win this fight. I'm not so confident that they are. It has to go up, of course, I'm sure. I'm not sure if it'll make it to the Supreme Court. I'm, I'm thinking that it likely will. Kelly Shackelford, uh, who was the president and chief counsel of the uh, First Liberty Institute, who represented us, uh, he represented A-Star Television and the American Family Association. And we were the ones who were uh, responsible for that uh, ruling by the, the Fifth Circuit. So happy to be on the front lines of that. But that doesn't help. I know this. this is not a thing that helps a lot of you who are employed by secular employees. Uh, you're not, you don't have those kinds of protections. You don't have a, a chief legal counsel and an organization that will stand behind you and fight. Uh, but I would just say that because uh, governments and states are pushing back so hard, I would, my counsel to you would be to just hang on, just hang on and, um, uh, you know, follow your own uh, passions about, or not passions, that's really your own personal wisdom, your own guidance. If you're a Christian, certainly after you've prayed about this, uh, and if you feel that it's a, it's something that you should not do to vaccinate um, for good, solid reasons, religious reasons, because of the aborted baby parts that are the aborted fetuses that were used in the manufacture of all three of these things, or if you feel that your body is a temple of the, of the living God and that you should have something to say about what goes into it. Some of you don't drink alcohol because of this, because you believe that your body is a temple. There are a lot of religious reasons and so if you agree with this, I would just say, hang on. I do think help is on the way. I'm optimistic because of the way I see see things going in Virginia this week and around the country, I'm, I'm becoming more optimistic that somehow we can push back on this draconian, uh, authoritarian, um, really communistic, Marxist rule, iron glove that's coming across this nation. We've managed to put a chink in its armor this week, and hopefully we can do the same. Uh, now we're learning that this uh, OSHA has now announced that this vaccine rule may sure be, soon be expanded to small businesses. This is coming from the Labor Department. So that, you know, no one could be exempt. And so if ever there were a time to fight, it's now. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a couple of other things that I want to share of that million pieces of paper that I printed out for you this morning. Uh, let's see. So just two days after Biden announced that rule, finally kept talking about it, and these all these huge companies, you know, rushed to do his bidding. Yes, they did. The airlines bending over backwards to do his bidding without anything official, just loved, you know, treating their employees in this way, whether it's hospitals or it's just horrific. It really is. So less than two days after he finally did file it, and one of the reasons, I, I think you understand this, but I should explicitly say that these suits did not happen sooner was because he did not file anything. He just said it publicly, but he didn't do anything officially. So there was nothing to officially file against. And so two days after he filed, uh, filed this and made it a public and the, the, actually the thing came out in writing, that's when all these lawsuits poured in. And so... Um, Ken Paxton's very happy in Texas. He said, we won. Just this morning, uh, the judge cited grave and statutory constitutional issues. That's the Fifth Circuit statement. Uh, the fact that they said, because the petitions given give cause to believe that there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. The mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court. Now, that doesn't mean this is over. 
But this particular mandate that's been stayed applies to more than 80 million workers who face coerced compliance or unemployment. Uh, And uh, just to give you some numbers here, 31.7, this is an estimation, of those workers are unvaccinated and will be forced to choose uh, the jab or their jobs. I'm reading from, uh, I'm not sure what this is from. Okay, sorry. I wish I could tell you. I don't even know author's name here either. Um, Millions of healthcare workers participated in Medicare and Medicaid are required to get their shots by January. And uh, they'll have no option for weekly testing. And, of course, private businesses who don't comply will be face a fine of over $130,000. So that's how they're enforcing it. And yet they go out, and the president is bragging about how these mandates are working. We're able to force people to take the shot. Now, isn't that something to brag about? Or they'll lose their jobs and their livelihood and their careers. Isn't that something to boast and beat your chest about? Yet that's what they're beating their chest about. All right, so... um, Governor Ron DeSantis commented on this. I'll just, uh, in that that particular, there'll be more to say about this in the days, days to come. Governor Ron DeSantis tweeted, the OSHA rule, that's the one that came out, and that's the one in writing, was made under the guise of grave danger. Yet it took two months to draft and won't go into effect for another two months. This is an abuse of power, and so it is. And so that's uh, Ron DeSantis all right, um, I want to move to the, or do I? Actually, no. I'm going to stay on this. Uh, you know, the Biden administration is now kicking off a nationwide effort to make sure your children get vaccinated. I believe, uh, I believe I read or heard that in New York and Los Angeles, they're forcing children in schools to get vaccinated right now. That's my understanding. Um, and so uh, that really struck me because I saw this clip over the weekend. This is a guy, um, let's see, let me make sure I get the right clip here. This is a guy in Texas. Here it is. His name is Ernest Ernest Ramirez. He had a 16-year-old son who just died from his COVID shot, and I'll let you hear him tell his story. Let's listen. I was a father of a 16-year-old son, a single parent. I raised my boy since he was a baby. He meant the world to me. I got the vaccine to protect my son. And uh, after in March, April, they're announcing how it was safe for teenagers. Me and my son have never been apart. We're always together. He was my best friend. I always told him it was me and you against the world. He joined ROTC in high school. He was always full of smiles. Anybody that knew my son would see he was happy. Uh, I wasn't rich, but I gave him everything he wanted. We didn't lack for anything. We used to go fishing, camping, do everything. We got the Pfizer vaccine because I thought it was to protect him. I thought it was the right thing to do. It was like playing Russian roulette. My government lied to me. They said it was safe. Next week is his birthday. You know what? I'm going to celebrate his birthday at. While everybody, once we leave here, they're going to forget about what we're doing or what they talk about, what we said here. They're going to be enjoying time with their family and kids. Thanksgiving, I'm going to spend at the cemetery Christmas. 
at that cemetery. They need to quit pushing this on their children. I lost mine. Y'all need to protect yours. They're, they're, they're trying to target the 5 to 12-year-olds. We're going to have more deaths in our hands than they planned. And they say it's worth the risk. It wasn't worth the risk. That's Ernest Ramirez from Texas, who just lost his 16-year-old son from the COVID shot, a reaction to the COVID shot. I, I don't even know what to say to that. Except, please hear me, do not let your children take this vaccine lightly. Make sure you have researched and studied real information. You know, I, I just saw, what did I see of all the big things I saw this morning? Someone else talked, oh yes, it was an interview on MSNBC, and the, it was a doctor, and she was talking about how uh, she, they, she was asked the question, will you let your children be vaccinated? Oh, yes, I will. Right away, I'll have my children be vaccinated because I have studied what the CDC and the FDA are saying, and they've done their research, and I'm sure it's safe. And I thought to myself, it really, it goes back to what I mentioned last week about uh, Dr. Littell, who was our guest, saying that in all of his years of practice, he'd never seen something where patients seem to know more than their doctors. And from another source, I read that doctors do not do the deep research. They're busy treating patients, and so they read, you know, the cliff notes, as it were, from the formerly trusted organizations, the FDA and CDC. They still trust them. They don't understand that they have become completely corrupt. And so they tell their patients it's fine, and they'll vaccinate their own children. And um, Ted Cruz, by the way, has introduced a bill to block vaccine mandates for children. Uh, I, you know that uh, Biden, uh, the Biden administration will, uh, by all means, uh, want to force vaccinate your children. And so be prepared for that and be prepared for the fight. And I guarantee you I'll be fighting. I'll be fighting for you and with you. And so, um, so that's why we start Monday. When we come back, we actually have some good news for you. Would you like that? I think you would. So uh, stay tuned with, for some good news. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. In our inclusive world, believers and non-believers alike are arguing that multiple religions can lead to God. But tolerating other beliefs won't help anybody get into heaven. In fact, it will only mislead them. Join us all this week as Dr. Robert Jeffress continues his compelling new series called Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, here on Pathway to Victory. Weekday mornings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth 
and subdue it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the most recent reports provided by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, researchers looked at fertility rates for women of all age groups and ethnicities and found the nationwide rate was 16% lower than what is needed for a population to replace itself. There has been much discussion about the demographic winter in various European countries. Well, that demographic winter has reached the United States. The first command God gave mankind in Scripture was be fruitful. But man has the penchant to fancy his own ways over God's. Rejecting God's ways always carries severe consequences. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Here's a story filled with both tragedy and hope. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and Amelia was raised in South Africa, very tragically witnessed the murder-suicide of her own mother and father. The father, a raging alcoholic, would kill the mother before turning the gun on himself. This sent all the siblings in different directions. Amelia ended up with an aunt who did not love her. In fact, forced her into human trafficking, and she would go on to be assaulted by men who never were prosecuted for the crime. Amelia lived with bitter unforgiveness for many years until a Bible League volunteer volunteer introduced her to Jesus and trained her to share Christ with others. And would you know what? 120 Christians have looked upon Amelia and they say, what? I want Jesus. And I tell you what, they live where Bibles are non-existent. So we're asking you today, would you step into the stories of these 120 Christians and others around the world who need the Bible at only $5? Make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 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 Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Two must-see TV programs that aired Sunday indicate there still is hope for America. One was Mark Levin's opening monologue during his Fox News program last night, the most important by a TV host in memory. He called the November 2nd elections nationwide a growing popular uprising against American Marxism by righteous people who love this country and reject the racism, anti-Americanism, and Trump hatred of Democrats in Virginia and elsewhere. The second was Fox News host Maria Bartiroma's superb interview of former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe. He confidently predicted that formerly classified paper special counsel John Durham has publicly released and and a thousand others still to come would result in many criminal indictments for a documented plot by Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign and top Obama administration officials to perpetrate the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Praise the Lord. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I'm thankful for Frank Gaffney's commentary because when I can't get everything in the show, I can always count on Frank. Either we're talking about the same thing or he will embellish and tell you more things because so much is happening. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial started in Wisconsin uh, just this last week, and I'm bound and determined to maybe do a whole show on that. Uh, that's the young guy that uh, has, is accused of murder uh, in Wisconsin after those riots. And so, uh, and then of course the arrest of the, uh, Russia collusion Russian who was responsible for feeding that information and the FBI willingly taking it. And then of course the raid of, uh, of, um, oh gosh, Project Veritas, James O'Keefe is a good friend. Uh, the raid of his home and all of his reporters, uh, happened over the weekend too. I, I will not get to those stories, uh, today. Uh, but those are, those are big news stories that will deserve our attention. 
All right, I told you good news. Okay, so some good news. And that is, you know, we talk about kids because I personally love kids. My four grandchildren and their dad and mom left us Saturday. They've been with us for almost five months uh, in their transition from Scotland to uh, to now to Vancouver, British Columbia. So we won't see them for a very long time. But children are very tender and special to me personally. And so when we do Operation Christmas Child, uh, I have a tender spot for it. I have a tender spot for a Samaritan's Purse because I trust their work. I trust Franklin Graham. And oh, you know, I go to a store and they ask me if I want to donate to this and that. I always say no. I mean, if I don't know, you know, who you are and what you're doing, where that money's going, no, I don't want to. But when this comes, I always know I can trust and it's fun to be part of it. Operation Christmas Child is something that happens. It starts in November and you'll understand why if you've never heard of it. What we do is uh, put together these shoe-like boxes with gifts for kids in countries all across the, the globe where, you know, there's like a hundred unreached people groups that we send these to, but other mainstream countries, and the kids get them, and they also, not only does it make their Christmas, but it also gives them a chance to hear about the gospel. And so that's what it is. Uh, let me just give you a, some practical steps here, and then we're going to introduce our special guest uh, this, by the way, is a direct way for you to equip the local church around the world, Operation Christmas Child's local ministry partners. That's all the churches that participate, and so many of them do. It's a simple platform, a shoebox gift uh, to reach your own community and establish long-term relationships. So they use them locally, too. Um, uh, you can pack your shoebox with a standard size shoes box and drop it off during the third week of November. That's uh, November 15th to the 22nd. Any standard size shoebox will do, or you can order pre-printed shoeboxes and support materials for your church or family. A lot of churches have these, and they'll hand them out. So it just depends on what your church is doing. So if you the, And the suggestions are you'd start with some wow item like a stuffed animal, a soccer ball with a pump, clothing outfit that will capture the child's attention, the instant he or she opens the boss box and then fill the shoebox with other fun toys like hygiene items and like a toothpaste, toothbrush, school supplies. For other gift suggestions, you can visit the Samaritan's Purse website. And if you're interested in this, right up front, go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, and that's Operation Christmas Child. That's what OCC stands for, SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, and you can learn more about it, where to drop it off, and all the things that I may be left out. I want to introduce to you Vladimir Prokhnevsky, and he is our guest this morning. He grew up in Ukraine, and he was one of the one of the kids that received one of these Christmas boxes. And so I'm eager to talk to him. He joins us this morning. Good morning, Vlad. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, you pronounced my last name perfectly. Well, thank you. I should have because I did spend quite a bit of time in the Soviet Union. I should know something about this, but um, but I stumbled anyway. So thanks for the compliment. Hey, Vlad, you grew up in Ukraine. Are you living in the United States now? Yes, I grew up in Kiev, the capital, but I live in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. Oh, it's a little warmer there. Okay, so <laughs> I had a good friend from Ukraine years ago, and I always think warmly of him, even though the weather is cold in Ukraine. And you grew up there. We had nine nine kids in your family. Tell us about how you came to receive, you know, this one of these uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. Yeah, so I, I come from family, like you said, nine children. My father was an underground pastor in Kiev, Ukraine. My father risked his life preaching the gospel on the streets of Kiev at the time when it wasn't popular or allowed. And because my father was a believer, 
living in a communist country was hindered from advancing our society because everything was owned by the state. There was no private sector. And so my father had to settle for low-paying jobs. And every time he was captured and written up for, for preaching, uh, it greatly affected his faith and more. So it got to the point to where we had to take turns to go outside to play because we didn't have enough shoes for everybody in the family. We also had to share our toothbrushes. That was a humbling experience. And we didn't have access to a lot of toys, especially new toys, but it didn't stop us from making our own toys. We made yo-yos that are Coca-Cola caps and we played with our shoes, pretending they were cars. And uh, we grew up in a tiny three-bedroom apartment with 11 people living there. And uh, it was during that time when we were invited to come to this uh, big, big birthday, as they call it, birthday celebration. It was a Christmas celebration. And that was what was so special about this event is that not only did they give us beautiful gifts, but they presented the gospel to us in so many different and unique ways through singing, dancing, cartoons, movies, animations, flannel boards, puppet shows. It was so fun. It was so effective that by the end of the evening, if you walked away not knowing what, uh, what the gospel was all about, you weren't paying attention because they went above and beyond. But the gift, that's what, what was so special to me. Vladimir, Vlad, um, all right, so you grew up hearing the gospel. So this wasn't new information mm-hmm. to you. So I'm wondering how you heard it. Like, uh, if you, uh, look, I've been in Russia. This is why I was in Russia. I was, you know, meeting with people in the underground mm-hmm. church. But, so I know, know quite a bit about this. But um, when you saw this public event with people talking about Jesus, how did that affect you spiritually? Having grown up in that circumstance where you've been deprived because of your dad's faith, you know what he believes, and now you see this public event, how did that affect your heart and mind? Well, first of all, I was walking in at the same time with the girl that uh, I recognized from my class, and I knew she was not a Christian, and I was surprised to see her there, because for some reason I assumed that this would be like a Christmas celebration only for Christians, but it was an outreach event. Everyone there pretty much didn't know uh, what the gospel was all about. And so, I, and I remember that girl, her family kind of made fun of us for being Christian. So I was just surprised to see a, a, her walking in this building. And uh, But for me, what was so special for me, even though I've heard the gospel all my life, what was special for me is that somebody took the time to give me a special gift filled with new toys, school supplies, hygiene items, unconditionally. Because in my country, when somebody gives you a gift, they always expect something in return. It's always conditional. It's always transactional. But here's a gift that was given to me with no strings attached. And, and it did something to me. It made me more generous because I, I just couldn't understand why would somebody who doesn't know who I am will never meet me do something so special for me? Like, what's in it for them? And because even though I was a Christian, but I was growing up in the country where the mindset, you know, I think in Ukraine they say, um, I'll translate it to English, but it says Ukraine motherland, if you want still, you won't have. So that's the mindset of the people. And if so you won't, did you, Vlad, did you there, say if you don't, did you say if you don't steal, you don't have? Yeah, it's Ukraine motherland, if you won't, if you don't steal, you won't have. So basically okay, I just everyone's wondered. trying to steal to have. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mindset of the people. And so when I was given this gift unconditionally, and not only, it, was, it wasn't it was just a gift, it was a very special gift because everything was new. I never, I was, come from a family of nine children. No one ever given me anything so special in my life. And uh, so that, to me, that's, that's what touched my heart, that why would somebody, this unconditional love, because people pack these shoeboxes with so much love, and on the receiving side, that people feel that same love, children feel that same love that you pack them with. And I always say that God is love. When you show love to people, you show God to people. When people experience love, they experience God. And once you experience that God's unconditional love, you will not walk away unchanged. And that's what these shoeboxes are about. It's that un- unconditional love that kids get to experience in a tangible way. 
Vlad, I tell you a funny story. My husband was an FBI agent, and when he was in training, uh, oh, wow. he was uh, living near. Uh, well, some other guys were training, but they were from. I think they were from New Jersey. Listen, no offense to those of you in New Jersey listening to this story, <laughs> but <laughs> my husband offered one day. One of the guys offered him like some candy. My husband had like stuff, you know. He was just saying, "Hey, you want some?" And the guy looks at him. He's like recoils, and he said, "What do you want?" And my husband said. I don't want anything. I just want to know if you want some candy. And so it is the same thing. It's like it's a, it's kind of a it's human nature that takes over in cultures when God is not present. You know, it's doggy dog steal, take what you can take, and you don't you certainly are not generous. I just that struck me. All right, so how old were you when you got this little box? Vlad. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, all right. So we'll get him back in a second here. I don't know how old he was. Let's see. But let me just tell you, Operation uh, Samaritan's Purse is the uh, host of this, or their, this is their idea, this is their project, Operation Christmas Child. And if you would like to be, participate, you go to samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. That's samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. By the way, since 1993, over 188 million shoebox gifts have been collected for children in over 160 countries and territories. And uh, you can see, you can hear from Vlad is just one of the, what, one of the 188 million children uh, whose life was so profoundly affected by this. I want to ask him if we get him back here, what happened, how that little girl responded, the one that had made fun of them for being Christians. But I can't ask him yet. Uh, so Adam will let me know in just a second. Um so uh, I don't know how old he was when he received his box, but I can tell you that Ukraine was a very bleak place, as was any of those countries that were part of the old Soviet Union, just a colorless and cold. And uh, But Ukraine has changed a lot, you know. It's changed a lot since, and so has Poland. And that's the good news, because the Gospels kind of flooded in, as it did in Russia, uh, and uh, there's their people are freer there. So National Collection Week for... Operation Christmas Child is November 15th to the 22nd. November 15th to the 22nd. And if you go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, you can figure out how you can participate. All right, since we don't have it back, I'm going to tell you a different story. How about that? I'll tell you a different story. Aaron Rodgers is in trouble. You probably know that. The quarterback for the Green Bay Packers is in big trouble. Uh, He did not get the vaccination. He doesn't believe in it. And he basically said he was immunized. Uh, not vaccinated. I think he was, I'm I'm unclear about what he took, Uh, but this is his conversation on this. He said, um, he said the NFL's coronavirus protocols were not based on science, but on more shamed-based environment. We're not based on science, but on more shamed-based. He revealed that he'd tested positive for coronavirus on Wednesday, and he had to miss yesterday's game with the Kansas City Chiefs. He can't rejoin the Packers until November the 13th, uh, he was told in August that he was considered unvaccinated under protocols developed uh, by the league and NFL players. Uh, I would love to play that clip. I don't know how long it is, Adam, of the uh, NF- those guys. It's going to take the last of our time here. <sighs> no, we can't play it. But they're sitting there criticizing him because he did get COVID, and they're mocking him. Terry Bradshaw is for taking the horse pill, ivermectin. And so... Uh, Rogers said this. It wasn't some sort of a ruse or a lie that he said he was immunized. 
Had there been a follow-up to my statement that I'd been immunized, I would have said, look, I'm not some sort of an anti-vax flat earther. I'm somebody who's critical, a critical thinker. You guys know me. I march to the beat of my own drum. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy and the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed group of individuals who say you have to do something. Health is not a one-size-fits-all for everybody, and for me, it involved a lot of study in the off-season. I put a lot of time and energy researching this and met with a lot of people to get the most information about vaccines before I made my decision. Uh, and so he said that Joe, uh, Joe Rogan, we've mentioned him, remember, he, took, he was the one who really took a beating for taking ivermectin. They mocked him mercilessly. I played a montage for you about that. Joe Rogan reached out to Aaron Rodgers, talked, told Aaron about ivermectin, and um, so uh, he also talks about how the people have been, how people have been injured taking this vaccine. So I'm guessing, I'm sort of, me thinks that maybe, uh, no, I'm just guessing, that Senator Ron Johnson might have had something to do with Aaron Rodgers' firm stand against taking vaccine, but now he has gotten COVID. I don't know the order of things, the way it's presented in the information I read, it's like he, he did all these things, then he still got COVID. I don't know if that's true. I don't. It may be, may be true. I don't know if it is, but uh, he's now in for a fight, fight for his life because uh, he's a, you know, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. And I think, are, I don't know. I should ask my husband. Are they in first place? I don't know. They're really doing well. They usually do. Uh, and so, what's going to happen with that? That's a drama unfolding, uh, and just another dilemma that's being presented by. Uh, this so-called cure, vaccinations, which is not a cure at all. I just read an article this morning that two out of those three vaccines are less than 50% effective after six months. Two out of three. And the other one is not that effective either, but it's more than 50%. It's not what they're saying it is. And so we have to be wise as serpents. Okay. Sandy Rios with you. We did get some things in today. I'm very happy about that. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.